Hello, my name is Leslie Goodburn. I'm a Pancreatic Cancer UK supporter, and you're here today listening to some podcasts that we're doing. The reason that we're doing the podcast is because there are two small words, pancreatic cancer, two small words that actually have a massive impact on people, that cause devastation, that create psychological, emotional and physical pain. Before 2014, I didn't really know a great deal about pancreatic cancer. I knew that it was one of the cancers that had a poor survival rate, but that was probably all I knew. In 2014, my husband Seth was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. We were thrust into a world of palliative and end-of-life care, and unfortunately, 33 days after diagnosis, Seth died from pancreatic cancer. Seth didn't really stand a chance, couldn't get treatment because actually the disease was diagnosed at such a late stage that there wasn't the possibility to have any other outcome than Seth was going to die. So after Seth died, spent a lot of time thinking about how to support Pancreatic Cancer UK to raise awareness of the disease, of the signs and symptoms, to raise money. So I've spent the last four years working with various different organisations, getting GPs trained, raising funds through doing things with Emma Bridgewater Pottery, doing charity balls, um, standing in the, in the street during Awareness Month and giving out leaflets to raise awareness. Um, Last year we did some work around patient stories, this year we're doing the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer podcasts. The podcasts are designed to give everyone who listens to them an idea about what the pancreas does, why it's important, what its function is, what happens when cancer forms, what the signs and symptoms of the disease are, how people can recognise those recognise those signs and symptoms so that they can go to the GP and hopefully get diagnosed early enough for treatment to be an option. We're going to talk to some of the UK's leading clinicians, nurses, allied health professionals, experts in various different fields, and most importantly, we're going to talk to some patients and families who've experienced the disease. So over the course of Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month, which is November, the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer podcasts will be broadcast and it'll give you all an opportunity to understand the disease much better, to think about how you can support raising awareness going forward and to spread the word about pancreatic cancer and hopefully make sure that in the future many more people are diagnosed earlier and people are given the chance for treatment, the chance that Seth never had. I'm Charlotte Foster, podcaster and journalist. This episode is all about the future and what's being done now research-wise to make it both easier to diagnose and to treat pancreatic cancer. I began by speaking to Dr Claire Hoskins. She's a senior lecturer in pharmaceutics from Keele University and I spoke to her about nanoparticles. Now stay with me. I know this sounds like something out of a science fiction novel or a film. And I also appreciate it sounds like something that might be a bit difficult to understand. Don't worry, because I got Claire to start off by explaining exactly what a nanoparticle is. And even I get it. 
Nanoparticles are just very, very small particles. Um, they're not a new concept. They've been around for many, many years. So if you look at the stained glass in churches, the red colour that you get is usually um, colloidal, small, nanoscale gold. Um, we've got silver nanoparticles impregnated into plasters at the minute to um, improve wound healing. But they're just really, really small particles. I often tell my students that if you um, scaled yourself up to the size of Ben Nevis, a nanoparticle would be the size of a full stop. So that's the range and scale. Um, they come in many different shapes, sizes, architectures, m- made out of metals, polymers, lots of different materials. So just very, very small particles. Why then are we talking about nanoparticles on a podcast about pancreatic cancer? Um, so nanoparticles have been shown to be really effective drug carriers um, in cancer therapy. And they've been used across a range of different um cancers so far and pancreatic cancer is a very very complex cancer it forms these solid tumors um, in other uh, cancers we can exploit something called the EPR effects enhanced permeability and retention where these nanoparticles are so small they can infiltrate the tumor but we think in pancreatic cancer that's not the case because it forms such a solid tumor you could liken that to the cartilage in your ear very very solid so it's difficult to get anything into but what we can do is get things to permeate better and further into the tumour using a nanoparticle. Not only that, we can use nanoparticles to, for diagnosis, um, for site-specific drug delivery. So if you think about the current therapies, the very, very toxic drugs that these patients are given, they're already ill and it messes with their immune system and they get all these bad side effects um, hair loss fatigue nausea so if we put something on a nanoparticle we can direct it to the site where we want to deliver the drug and somehow tell that nanoparticle to deliver in that area and that stops the drug going around the bloodstream causing all these awful side effects it sounds like something out of a science fiction film how exciting is this research This really is cutting-edge research. In fact, I think nano has been described previously in science fiction. Um, But yeah, so this is a booming industry at the minute, looking at how we can develop smaller-sized particles. So particles in the small nanoscale, no matter what they're made out of, have unique properties compared to their larger-scale equivalent. So, for instance, gold. If you have a gold nanoparticle and you hit it with a laser, you can heat that particle up. So in the work at Keele University, we um, work with particles that can be viewed using um, clinically used imaging techniques. So we can see that the particle's gone to the where it needs to be. They're also coated with a gold um, surface. We hit them with a the laser and we have drugs conjugated onto that um, surface. And when we heat up, we break the binding between the drug and the surface and that's how we um, release the drug. So it is image guided and triggered delivery to where it needs to be. So huge benefits then for people who have pancreatic cancer. Where do you see this going in the future? So Abraxane has been the first approved um, therapy for pancreatic cancer. And I know in the UK, uh, NICE approved it in some areas and not others. So England were one of the last regions to get um, access to this. But that's an indication of where these can go. So Abraxane is a albumin-based Um, nanoparticle but there are other ones such as stimuli responsive or smart ones that can um, more effectively deliver to these sites Um, so I I see the future of medicine all medicine to be um, nanoparticle based Um, there's a lot of 
things unknown at the minute in terms of what happens inside the tumour. So is there bacteria inside that tumour stopping the drug delivery? Is there a lack of oxygen inside that tumour or pressure? And there's a lot of things that nanoparticles can be used to overcome that kind of um, challenge. So lots of changes to treatment then coming, do you think? Yes, so obviously these um, new systems need to be regulated and with that comes time. So there are a lot of nanotechnologies currently undergoing um, clinical trial um, and I would envisage within the next five to ten years a lot more nanotechnology should be on the market. How did you get involved in this? So I'm a chemist by training um, and after my degree I went into uh, PhD studies and worked on polymers for drug deliveries and these were nano-sized and um, we started with a pancreatic cancer model and really from there my interest has peaked um, the more we find out the more we find out we don't know and it's such a complex disease that any difference to these patients really is a difference to their lives so it's a worthwhile cause. What are your hopes then for for this technology and for what this may bring? So we hope to offer patients a better quality of life as an endpoint, um, but we also think that we can really have earlier diagnosis, shorter patient in hospital times, and that lag of treatment between diag or the lag of time between diagnosis and treatment. Hopefully, we're going to reduce that, which will give them a better fighting chance. Rila Piklak is studying for her PhD in pancreatic cancer and she's also a clinical fellow at the Christie Hospital in Manchester. Now that's one of the largest cancer centres in Europe. I've been speaking to her as well and I began that conversation by asking her exactly why she chose to do her PhD in pancreatic cancer. To be fully honest, um, it was quite... Um random uh, because I saw the advertisement for pancreatic cancer PhD and it was um, it's just kind of one of those things that kind of cried out or, or just stood out and I really uh, re- really sounded interesting for me so um, I just really kind of randomly applied originally um, and I, I think well I've done some couple of projects um, back home on pancreatic cancer as well and I found it always very interesting just because it's quite a quite a difficult disease and I kind of feel that I like the challenge. So you got the grant for the Future Leaders uh, project. Could you tell me a little bit about the Future Leaders project? And I know you mentioned it briefly about you seeing the advert for it. In my case, uh, it was already linked to my PhD. So, um, but this is um, a kind of a project that was started by uh, Pancreatic Cancer UK to kind of fund um, new PhD uh, students to start working on pancreatic cancer. Um, This is kind of just to show that there is um, a kind of more that we can do on pancreatic cancer, that we can support people who are interested in doing research on pancreatic cancer and just getting them all together under kind of one uh, one organization as well. So you're looking at three parts of um, it's three parts to your research. Why? What, what exactly is it that you're looking at? So yeah, so our kind of overall uh, very ambitious aim is to improve outcomes for patients with pancreatic cancer. Um, and it has a very kind of three very separate uh, areas. We're looking at, uh, first of all, um, looking at the link between glucose, um, diabetes and uh, pancreatic cancer and how it affects patients' outcomes. 
Um, secondly, we're looking at uh, what patients themselves think about um, outcomes um, and how they view uh, what we already know is quite poor outcomes and and um, and how that links up with their physicians' uh, views. And thirdly, we're looking at um, whether we can see um, one mutational signature called the DNA damage repair um, and whether we can see that on um, our patients' biobank samples. So starting then with the um, patient and clinical outcomes, what's the, what is, what's the thinking behind that or what are you trying to find out with that side of your research? So we already know that pancreatic cancer outcomes can be very poor. And uh, what we're trying to see is that we as clinicians mainly have information from clinical trials. Um, showing us the number of months uh, on average the patients um, live with this disease, but we don't really know what the patients think of this uh, uh, prognosis or what their expectations for treatments are. We know that the, the treatment itself can be quite aggressive. And so what we're trying to see uh, with this research is to kind of see how patient, what patients view as uh, poor outcomes or what they think of their chemotherapy and uh, how that links up with their uh, physicians and how that changes during treatment. Because what's been previously shown is that um, patients can have a very different view of uh, their treatment and that can impact their outcomes as well. So we're trying to see that in pancreatic cancer. So how does that work then, the, the differing views and the differing um, outlooks? So what we basically do is that we do a survey for patients um, when before they start their treatment. Um, then three months later when they've already had uh, some chemotherapy. And then a third time after they've had their first scan that kind of shows uh, whether there's been an impact of that chemotherapy to the cancer. And on those three time points, we uh, do a similar survey to their physician um, and just to kind of see how that uh, links up or how that uh, compares. Um, and we're looking at different things like uh, what a patient uh, views about their prognosis are, what they think about their treatment, what they think about the main side effects of the potential treatment and how acceptable that is for them. We're also looking at their goals in life and what they uh, they kind of want to achieve with this treatment. And how will you use this research? Well, we're actually hoping that this will kind of give us a different perspective on outcomes um, and that we would not only look, we as physicians would not only look at um, the length of life as an outcome from any clinical trial, but we can also look at patients' views on this, how that changes with different clinical trials and kind of basically finding different endpoints for clinical trials rather than only looking at the months. You also mentioned about your research looking at the presence of diabetes and, and all of that side of things. Could you just explain a little bit of the thinking around that, please? Yeah, so we've known for quite a long time that there is a link between a diabetes and pancreatic cancer, basically because they're from the same uh, organ, uh, from the pancreas. And um, there's been quite a lot of different research on this, but we don't really know how this affects their outcomes during treatment or without treatment. So what we've been trying to look at is not only the diabetes diagnosis itself, but also when they're 
blood sugars go high, even without the diagnosis of uh, uh, diabetes, whether that impacts their outcomes. Um, there's different um, kind of um, areas that we want to see there, or basically different thinking behind that. Uh, previously, what's been shown that if patients do get um, diabetes or they get hyperglycemia, which means uh, high glucose uh, in their blood, um, that can really out, kind of really make the cancer more aggressive, but it can also be an indicator of the aggressiveness of the cancer. So there's different things we're looking at there. And it, what it can also be is that patients where where the glucose does go high, they can have more toxicities for, from the chemotherapy. So basically what we've done is that we've done a big, big database of all of the patients we've seen since 2012 to July 2017 in the Christie, which is more than uh, 640 patients. And we're trying to link their uh, blood sugar levels at different time points to their outcomes. It sounds absolutely fascinating. And what are you finding out so far then? So, yeah, we just went, um, uh, had a poster presentation in ESMO, which is the European Society of Medical Oncology, uh, which is a big, big conference um, this year in Munich. And uh, basically what we've, sh uh, we've seen is that um, what we kind of expected is um, coming out from the data as well, that Patients who have higher glucose levels in the beginning of their treatment, um, they do have uh, kind of worse outcomes. There's different things there that we will then have to kind of think of how we can help with that. Uh, and the other thing that we saw that um, the kind of the lowest glucose level they had during their treatment um, is if that is high, it can also, uh, the patient can also have worse outcomes because of that. So this kind of gives us kind of ideas that if we can manage their diabetes better, and which we can do much better these days, uh, we could actually improve their outcomes um, just by doing that. Uh, obviously, we can't show this from this um, research, but I think that's a kind of a future area that we would be really interested in and and to see if that actually um, if 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 it is as easy as managing the diabetes we can actually make these uh, patients feel better and actually do better and that's so important isn't it Just yeah exactly. now the last thing i want to do is people who are listening to this is to get them worried or panicking so if someone has developed diabetes late on that doesn't mean that they're going to get develop pancreatic cancer does it oh, no 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 so that that is and that's one of the problems of um actually diagnosing pancreatic cancer is that millions of people get di di diagnosed with diabetes every year and it's it's a huge numbers of uh people and patients th th this time what we're looking in pancreatic cancer is that one of what we know is that patients who do get pancreatic cancer, they tend to lose quite a lot of weight. And there's been some research kind of showing that could be one of the kind of warning signs that we expect that the so-called normal patients who just have diabetes, when they, kind of, when they start having diabetes, they tend to have 
an increase in their weight that they um, just gain weight, but uh, pancreatic cancer patients tend to lose weight. So what's been shown is that there might be a link there that if you are if you do get a diabetes diagnosis and you tend to lose weight quite a lot, quite rapidly, then that is a warning sign. Where do you hope this research will lead to? I think it's just, well, maybe we're just a bit naive, but um, we're hoping that we can do little and often in a way that we can do little things to improve this patient's outcomes. We see them um, pretty much every day or every week at least and that we can do little things that we already have um, in our hands to help them do better with treatment and have better outcomes. And I think sometimes people forget it's the little things that really add up. When you're having a bad time, lots of little things become a huge thing, don't they? Exactly, and that's what we see with a lot of uh, pancreatic cancer patients especially, is that there's a lot of um, problems they have at the beginning of their diagnosis. It's the weight loss, it's the a loss of appetite um, uh, and and the diabetes and everything kind of coming together. Um, but there's a lot we can help with that already. We do have uh, the support available for that. And we just I think we just kind of need to get everyone together and help them um, each kind of each with the things that we can help them with. Although pancreatic cancer is um, um, is a horrible disease, but there is still quite a lot we can do with this. And I think one of the reasons why I'm very interested in pancreatic cancer is that there's still so much we can do. There's still so much we can research and we need to kind of really put our efforts to it and um, help to do a bit better research and help to kind of really tackle disease much better. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope it also showed you that there are people out there fighting to make pancreatic cancer more survivable. Remember, loads more to come throughout November, which is, of course, Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. Now, the best way to make sure you don't miss out on any of this is to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're there, go on, leave us a little review and maybe some ratings too. And remember as well, you can go online to our website, purplerainbow.co.uk. And we'll speak again soon.